Welcome everyone. It's time for another exciting Spotlight interview this week. And uh, this week, there's no way you haven't heard of this game or seen its ads. If you have played a single mobile game with rewarded video content in the past year or two, it's almost inescapable Mr. Autofire from Lightheart Entertainment. And today, so excited uh, to have Mika Ahonen here to tell us about Lightheart and Mr. Autofire and how this great, incredible hit was born and uh, built and sustained. Mika, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ethan. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad we're finally doing this. I know it was uh, it it took a while to get this one scheduled. I think I did. I have to cancel on you because of a hurricane. I think that's what happened. Yeah, I think that was at least one of, one of the reasons. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's let's start here. Can you just give us uh, uh, an intro to yourself and, and your history and background in game development and, and some of the projects you've worked on? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, my name is Mika. I got started in games in uh, 2011, actually, um, at Rovio, so the Angry Birds company. Um, Angry Birds had uh, been out for a year, so I was part of the first wave of personal growth, I guess you could say. Um, just to paint a picture, I think I was like the seventh, 70th employee, so so seven zero, and, oh, wow. uh, and a few few years later, we had like 700 employees. So it's kind of crazy it's, years. Yeah, yeah. Like going from the point where at least you kind of maybe recognize people to like, who are all these people around here? It's exactly. a massive company. Exactly. And and uh, initially, I actually didn't work work in direct with games. I work in e-commerce. So uh, I work at e-commerce and then kind of corporate development, you know, Excel, PowerPoints, market data stuff. Um, when Rovio transitioned all to free-to-play... The, all the most fun parts. Exactly, like, yeah. It's been yeah, my yeah. past couple months. Just <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. I've and got a Rovio... great spreadsheet I'm working on today. Super excited. I actually do have an exciting uh, game design spreadsheet today. So I, I mean, yeah, I never let go of spreadsheets totally. I still have my spreadsheets. That's something mm-hmm. I'm going to hold on to, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah. when, when uh, Rovio transitioned to free-to-play, uh, so did I, kind of. So... Uh, being a lifelong gamer combined with a background in uh, product management outside of games ended up working out for me. And uh, yeah, my first credited game is actually uh, Love Rocks starring Shakira. You've probably <laughs> never heard about it. <laughs> no, un- unfortunately it's, uh, not. It's a, it's, it's a pretty, pretty innovative casual puzzle game with uh, Shakira IP. Uh, eventually, I mean, the game didn't uh, like end up doing so well, but uh, it <laughs> makes for a great story. Um, Did okay. I have to pause there. Okay, in <clears throat> in your uh, estimation, did the Shakira IP help the game get organic downloads, or was it just um, just a mismatch of IP and, and gameplay? Um, I think a little bit of both. I think I think like this is like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> interesting sidetrack but uh, uh i think we did get some organic downloads because of it but i don't mm-hmm. think it helped the business in the end yeah. um i mean I, I i wouldn't do that ip deal even with all the love that i have for sakira i, I wouldn't yeah, do I it mean, for that game right? she's she's undoubtedly one of the biggest um uh music stars celebrities well known around the world but you know <clears throat> a lesson I've learned kind of over and over again is that intellectual property has to have the right fit with the gameplay and the audience. And 
And I think you could, you could kind of make, you can make the argument. It logically makes sense. Like Shakira has a massive global audience. The demographics of those audience match the demographics of puzzle game gamers. Therefore, a Shakira game for puzzle game will work. But, you know, the problem is the, the, what someone's looking for in a Shakira brand experience or brand, you know, a Shakira game is probably not puzzle. So unless you have an incredible creative where Shakira just like lowers the CPI so much, it's kind of a hard, um, it's, it's hard to see how that leads to the, the success yeah, I'm be- sure they were shopping, hoping for. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right there. Um, kind of, I, I 100% agree. Um, but it was also one of the first casual puzzle games at, at, at Rovio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, one of uh, the first, was it one of the first expansions outside of the Angry Birds franchise? I think, yeah, it, it was, it was not, not the first one, but one of the first ones, at least in a uh, free to play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think like wh- why I like to include that, uh, is that, uh, I ended up working on many other casual puzzle games and, uh, and like Rovia got really good at making puzzle games. Now they mm-hmm. are, now they're actually like one of the best. So so I ended up working on Angry Birds, Match, uh, Small Town Murders. I did work uh, a little bit on uh, on Battle Bay as well, Angry Birds mm-hmm. Friends. And I think like what it really was great. Uh, what was really great about it was that uh, I got to see very different genres in a relatively short amount of time. Um, so it was a very good learning experience the whole uh i was actually eight, eight years at rovio in the end uh, coming coming from that kind of e-commerce product manager background i'm so i'm someone who's like a game designer and a game producer who's picked up many product management skills over the past decade as i've been working on live and, and free-to-play game i mean i guess it's 15 years or so but like i came at it from games and learned a lot of what you would consider product management. And, and now I think as much about marketing and as much about kind of data configuration and data design as I do about game mechanics. Um, and that was a, a challenging transition. I'm, I'm curious what the tra- transition was like for you um, as a gamer, as a fan, going from kind of more, let's call it boring corporate world to the difficult and challenging world of marrying creative creativity of game design with these traditional product management tools yeah so that's a really good question actually so i had a very fortunate uh, supervisor when i did the transition and um I, I, he basically kind of said it out to me like there's no shortcuts so so i mm-hmm. kind of started as a junior game designer at a game team to 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 pick up the basics um and i did uh, junior game design stuff kind of it was like a you know interesting uh transition in the company coming from kind of middle management role to uh, mm-hmm. junior game design role i did that right. for a while before then transitioning into like a more traditional uh product manager type of work so so yeah uh my then supervisor didn't allow me to skip the fundamentals right so i think since then i like you're gonna you're gonna design these 500 puzzle levels and then you'll start (laughs) feeling like a game designer (laughs) not 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 maybe 500 but i i have i have done casual puzzle levels i I can still do casual puzzle levels if i have to i'm not the best at it but uh 
yeah i can do it um so eight eight years uh, well one thing that i i'll actually um highlight there is the importance of having a good mentor and good coach as you as you made this transition and someone who is willing to make an investment in you and say like hey you're going to be doing stuff that feels a little junior for you but it's the only it's the only way to do it the only way to be a game designer is to be a game designer This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing the full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. Do you take that lesson with you into the how Lightheart was built or how it was operated? Is there um, um, did that you know kind of give you a nugget of wisdom going forward? Yeah, I guess Lightheart was started by people who wanted to make games. So mm-hmm. in short, our mission is to be like the best place to to make games for enthusiastic and talented game developers. Got it. Um, so uh, we founded the company 2019. Um, mm-hmm. All of us founders are pretty senior. In fact, the rest of them are something like 20 years in games each. So so I'm from the junior side of, of things here. Got it. Uh, and uh, 2019, there wasn't really you know a shortage uh, of game dev jobs. So just founding another game company wasn't very or it didn't make much sense mm-hmm. uh, what every one of us founders had seen though during our careers at that point was that uh, sometimes uh, you would see people that actually love making games get burned out making games and and we had these experiences as well 
and yeah. uh, and 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 it kind of made us wonder that uh, like why why do you get burnt out doing something that you love, and uh, kind of the discussions ended like or our rethinking ended that this is uh, maybe due to things such as like defective organizations, bad quality decision making, and uh, and and often decision making becoming slow, and uh, wielders of power are spread somewhere in a in a hard to navigate organization chart. And uh, the great game developers that that we all wanted to work with and kind of all wanted to be as well uh, tend to not give their best in this type of uh, environment. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of the problem that we set out to solve. Got it. Um, So was it a team that was working together at Rovia? Like, was it a bunch of uh, late night, griping at the bar about how things could do better and then one day you're like hey we could do it better like was it, is it kind of that classic story or how how did Lightheart um go from um a, a set of ideas about how things could be improved to an actual company yeah so there's uh five of us co-founders working at the company plus one uh who's our chairman so there's miko who's an all-around game artist uh, Chris and Yoni, uh, full stack game programmers, uh, Kalle, uh, our CEO, and uh, me with uh, product responsibilities, and uh, Samuli, who, who's our chairman of the board. And um, actually, everyone else but me already founded one company together. Um, that was uh, Helsinki Gameworks uh, back in 2014. Uh, I was, like, like previously mentioned, I, uh, I was at Rovio for the whole time. But uh, Kalle, who I met at Rovio, had uh, had left Rovio to found uh, Helsinki Gameworks uh, 2013, 2014 or something like this. And uh, actually Helsinki Gameworks exited to Next Games, or more like merged together with mm-hmm. Next Games um, 2014. And uh, fast forward to 2019, uh, some of these uh, these founders from that time were thinking what to do next. And uh, basically, the team was uh, missing a product co-founder, and that's that's where I came in. Got it. Um, and and um, when when you started, I mean, well, let's 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 give a foundation here because I think uh, Mr. Autofire has been a massive success, right? Um, and I think it's easy if you work in um more um mid-core games or uh you know even shooters or whatever things that have kind of lower user numbers higher um revenue per user in success it's easy to look at mr autofire and go like oh it's just kind of like a hyper casual thing and dismiss it but i mean you guys have a, a giant hit on your hands uh, that's been live for several years. So I'm, I'm hoping you could share some metrics with us just to help the un- audience understand the scope of the game and how gotcha. you know, gotcha. big it is and, and how successful it is. Yeah, so uh, Mr. Autofire, actually we've been out exactly three years. We had a, mm-hmm. a three-year anniversary with Cake and everything uh, just last week. So uh, we have uh, over 10 million installs so far uh, across Android uh, and iOS and um more than uh, 40 million dollars in lifetime revenue um, that's great ac- across uh, ads and, and in a purchase and so and the how, kind of yeah go ahead how, how big is the team working on that 
so the total headcount for Lightheart is 33. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of split half and half between Mr. Autofire and uh, the new game team. We don't have a lot of admin, so so it's pretty right. much everyone is working on a game. So so if you look at just the people on on Mr. Autofire over the course of three years, it's like two million per employee. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, yeah that's, good. I'd be pretty happy with that <laughs> level of success. And um, and can you do you have a sense for how that revenue is split between um, IAP and? Uh, rewarded video ads. I mean, you guys do a great job of, of implementing rewarded video. And this is something I've learned um, when I, you know, I've, I mostly came from games that were, you know, 95% um, IAP revenue. And when I had the chance to work on one that flipped the script, I was quite, I was actually really amazed at how big the rewarded video ad revenue can be with a well-designed game with great retention. So I, I'm just kind of curious, like, roughly what the mix is for you guys. I mean, it depends a little bit on the geo, and it depends on what kind of uh, campaigns we are running. Uh, but roughly speaking, it's like 70% in-app and 30% ads. Got it. So if you're looking at it from the outside and you think it's hyper-casual, open this game up and and explore its feature depth there's a lot more going on there and there are a lot of kind of best in class features to um convince a player not just to stick around but but to um um spend spend a lot of money and and i think i mean again just thank you for giving us that basis of the stats um i think that for a small for a small team small nimble team going three years that's just like a great business um so let's let's go back in time to around that founding moment. Um, you guys knew you wanted to start a company. Um, they'd probably learned a lot of lessons, your your co-founders from their experience starting and, and exiting and then being part of next games for a long time. Um, when you started Lightheart, did y'all did you all know that Mr. Autofire was gonna be the game? Did you know this was gonna be your first game or was it a process of Let's build our, you know, how did it, how did it get started? Culture first, game first, you know, how, how did, how was the foundation of this company built? We did not, in fact, know that this would be the first game. It was very much a team first and a culture first approach. Um, prior to the kind of Lighthearts official founding, uh, uh, Chris and Mikko had already put some sweat equity on a couple of prototypes that uh, helped us get our first angel investment money in. But we didn't have a game that we were comfortable committing to uh, at that point. We started prototyping um, in earnest with the full team uh, in summer 2019. Um, I think we made about 10 digital prototypes during the summer. Uh, By the end of the summer, we decided to commit to to Mr. Autofire, or Shooter, uh, as it was called back then. And... uh, I mean, you asked a little bit of a, about process or like, 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 how would we approach it? Uh, to start this kind of prototyping uh, fuzzy front-end endeavor, I did create this lightweight process to assess early stage prototypes. So, I, I mean, you you must have seen that there's some similarities to Archero in the way that our game is structured. So Archero had just come out. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't set out to build a game like Archer, but it was kind of one of the 
the the reference games um yeah. when we when we were kind of thinking what kind of a concept to do um i don't have maybe or we don't have time to go to all the details but but kind of the the assessment boils down to just five questions um and those are like the first one is uh is the game fun uh very subjective still important um the second one was uh does it explain itself in a three to five second uh at creative so can we just take 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 record the core gameplay and it looks something that i would like to try and i understand what it's about yeah Um, i think i i can't emphasize how critical that is in in our modern um mobile game environment like if if someone can't understand it in a three to five second first impression of an ad like it's gonna be a challenge for you to get people to play your game so did you exactly did you guys did you make did you run ads like on those digital prototypes to see if people got it or was it more of a a subjective hey here's five seconds of gameplay do i understand what's going on because i really think you know from all the ads i've seen um that's a, a key part of mr autofire's success is how easy it is to understand what's happening and to actually have a representative game experience in a playable ad yeah so at that point it was more just a, a subjective assessment um so kind of the, the, our whole approach is that uh instead of doing a lot of uh, upfront testing we try to get to the market as fast as we can and test it there Got so it. so so kind of uh once we commit to a game then we try the time box like a uh, three months of time and in the three months we actually build the game mm-hmm. um in a, with, with enough scope that we can run ads and test it uh, and we'll get up to like day one retention with that so 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 we kind of skip you know the the click testing part and right. and try to rush it to the first playable on market that's very I, I think that's kind of the unique thing in our approach so sorry i i um I'll, i'm gonna come back to that because again that's that's really um an interesting approach that i think other people if they're not stealing should steal but we've got two two of five on your assessment ah, is it yeah, fun gotcha. can i understand it in five seconds yeah, I need the so, rest of this wisdom because I'm going to steal it for my own evaluating the prototype I'm building right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So the, actually, the next one is is related to what I just said. So the next one is: Can we ship a version in three months? So so can we make a version of this that we can actually put out to the market in in three months? And mm-hmm. um, the, the fourth one is: Can we use a progression system from an existing free-to-play game? So um, what I found out is that. Uh, designing and innovating with progression systems is pretty hard Um, and the other thing that you should know about that is that if you do it you have to devote a lot of time to it because your results will come in a year or two so so the cycles for learning are are pretty long so so we figured that we can kind of uh, move more fast with core game innovation and then limit the risk by just taking something that works with the with the progression systems so yeah. so so that was kind of the point with there and the final one is uh this is also important do you see yourself working on this uh because if people it. don't don't say yes to that you're gonna not have a good game because they're not motivated to build build a game yeah i um 
uh, to under to go back to the point you made about burnout previously, and why do people who love making games get so angry, mad, burnt out, disappointed with game development? I mean, I I love games. I love making games. I love playing games. I love talking to people who make games. It's like the only thing. It's it at this point with this many children. It's just like family, video games. That's that's kind of it. That's a TV. That's what I've got time for. And I've been as I've been kind of building my own studio from the earliest stages, been reflecting on my career and thinking like, why? Why was I angry so often or disappointed or frustrated? Like, why wasn't it more fun to make video games? And the number of times I look at myself having to commit a long stretch of time building a game that, yeah, maybe it should be a business. Maybe it is a bet I would make, but it's not something I or the people who were assigned to it wanted. You know, not having that passion for it um, makes the job so much more difficult. Yeah, I mean, an investor uh, asked me, a couple of weeks ago that like Mika do you still th- think there's there's a like successful mobile free to place to be made like or is it like done you can no longer make uh, a successful mobile free to place and I answered to to them that uh, I think there is endless amount of mm-hmm. vi- like viable concepts out there and then you just need to pick one to your team that suits them so it's not like it has to be this specific one thing. There's mm-hmm. always uh, viable concepts out there if you can execute on them. Yeah, I I love that five question framework. Um, and and to go to the progression system as well. You know, I spent a long time as a as a monetization designer, and my work and my success. I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it. It's not about innovation. It's not about business model innovation. It's about, you know, I look at almost like the engine of a car. It's like I play all these games to understand what all the free-to-play mechanics are. And then it's a question of, well, for this game and this audience, what is the right set of standard tools off the tool shelf, right? Like many times, sometimes monetization design is where to innovate. But a lot of times that's not where you need to spend your most out there creative risks um you it's actually the place to be a lot of times just do a really good highly polished job with good ux known systems make things easy for people to understand it's not about like oh my goodness they've never seen this type of skin system before with you know taking all these skins and forging them into gems and then turning the gems in the in the anvil of ultimateness into the new super like just use what works i guess exactly exactly it's more Uh, about creating than uh yeah than uh, actually coming up with new stuff right and that's why that three months um metric is such a great one can we get it playable in in three months can we put it not so that it's not us making the decisions it's the players because if you work on something for three months and it had 40% day one retention, you'd be like, well, we've got something here. And if you worked on it for 
three months and it had 5% day one retention, you'd have to say, we really have to believe in this to give it another three months because you cannot build a successful business on 5% day one retention. And what a gift to learn that in three months instead of after three years, you know? Yeah, exactly. You do have to have a, how would I say, intellectually honest mindset that you are are actually looking for um, you're looking for the game that you should be spending your time on and not reasons to continue the current project. So that's a kind of uh, game team starts to often love their own game, including myself, and looking for reasons why I want... Why, 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 why could I continue on this? Uh, you need to be very brutal to yourself and, and the game um, to make sure that you're looking for the facts and not just reasons to continue. Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. AppsFlyer, the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them. They know their data. Head to appsflyer.com benchmarks now for more info. Recent changes in the app stores are boon to mobile game developers. Now you can sell in-game items and currencies with big savings on transaction fees. And Exola just added three new features to their web shop for mobile game solution to help you level up your monetization practices outside the app stores. The three solutions are subscriptions, analytics, and promotions. Now subscriptions are a smart add to your mobile revenue strategy. They boost game revenue with predictability while maintaining a lawyer user base. Analytics give you data, and data has become fuel on which modern society runs. If you don't know your players, you won't know what they want or how to get them to click that buy button. Analyze your data so you can create critical piece of the purchasing puzzle. Finally, promotions allow you to easily reach out to opt-in players via email or Discord and other channels to bring them to your web shop on your website. You'll be able to generate new sales and keep more profit. To find how to get started, visit exola.pro slash mobile or go to the link in this podcast description. Yeah, and, and as your as Lightheart has grown from that initial set of was it six or eight co-founders? Sorry. Uh, six. From that initial set of six to over forty people, how have you sus- reinforced and sustained your culture? How have you, you know, made sure to stay true to what um, uh, allowed you to be so successful so quickly? Yeah, so we are thir- 33 now, so... Uh, 33. Not, not quite 40, but... Uh, Sorry, yeah, I a good generously th- rounded up. Yeah, <laughs> soon, soon. Um, I think the biggest challenge has been actually 
the last 12 months um, mm-hmm. as we transitioned from everyone is working on one game to um, we actually need enough people in all disciplines and, uh, and all relevant skill sets to, to, to staff two full game teams. So, so that has been... Um, I think we're actually starting to be there, but um, it was quite painful. Um, we stood by everything that we kind of agreed on with our our culture's founding principles, like like transparency, self management, all of these things. But uh, what we needed to do is uh, to make a lot of the things explicit. That when we were just uh, founders, it was kind of obvious to everyone. So mm-hmm. so responsibilities and uh, and and role. Ro- roles of each discipline and um, how we communicate how we give feedback all of these we had to make explicit um, and at the same time we were hiring a lot of people right so so we yeah. we doubled our headcount in the past 12 months yeah um, and that's that's got to be you know when you have a small group of people who have kind of an unspoken understanding the work to actually make that a written down, aligned on, clearly communicated set of expectations and behaviors, you might find out, oh, actually, we didn't have this clear understanding. We just got lucky. Or, you know, we're almost we're almost all thinking the same thing, but actually we need to make a critical decision about X or Y. It's not an, not an easy thing to double the size of your team, your company, while... Um, uh, operating a live game and, and building a, a new game team out. And one of the things you should do is is talk to the people that join the company later. Talk mm-hmm. to your new joiners and uh, figure out how they are doing, how they understand these things. And um, obviously, you might learn something new, but but also uh, there might be some things that are obvious to you as a founder or an early employee. But but uh, a new joiner doesn't have the same context, so yeah. so you have to actively bridge that context. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, going back to the point of um, that the game is easily understandable in three to five seconds. I mean, I've been playing one of the games I've been playing the most lately is uh, Survivorio. And I see a Mr. Autofire ad once, twice a day, probably, with the number of rewarded videos I see. And I think it does a really great job, um, as you said, passing that bar of, I see it, I understand it, I know what to expect if I start playing, it looks fun, um, I can have a good experience in the playable. Um, and, and you guys have been running UA on that game for probably three years continuously, I'm guessing, if you just had your anniversary um, what are what are some of the keys to being able to profitably run UA on kind of this um, hybrid casual? Uh, you know, it's not a hyper casual game. It's like pick up and play with deep monetization systems. You know. Yeah, I think that's actually actually accurate. So uh, a great UA team is is where you start with, right? And and really good at creative. Uh, we were quite lucky to be able to hire really, really, really good people in these uh, key roles who know what they're doing. Um, that said, I do believe that your product is in the heart of it, so it sets parameters for your user acquisition team to to work with. Um, 
and I think you kind of said it. It's a it's a it's a fun looking game that's also fun to play, and and there is an actual free to play game behind all of it. Um, I don't think it's anything much more um, complicated than that. Survivor.io, by the way, it's awesome. Like they really really nailed it. Um, when it came out, I was convinced that it'll, it'll do well but mm-hmm. I, st- I couldn't foresee the scale uh, yeah. that they, they can do with that game um, the, the scale really it, it is it is mind-blowing uh, but if you look at these like historical downloads for for these uh, action arcade games or action games or, or, or platformer games or runner games or, or, or any, anything you know from stickman fight to subway surfers to fruit ninja um there's always been demand for for good action games on mobile it's just that uh, not many developers have uh figured out how to retain and monetize yeah um and uh these games have a relatively broad audience but they retain and monetize better than the typical action arcade game so that's how you can scale right yeah um, what are some of the features that help give long-term retention to Mr. Autofire? This is something, as I said, once I started playing, I was quite impressed by the feature depth and how clever you as a company were about taking kind of the right features um, from other successful games. So kind of what did you have this core pick-up-and-play shooter, what did you add to it to give it that depth and, and retention? I think um, this is like a casual puzzle playbook answer, but uh, I tend to think that uh, our competition uh, undervalues content. Um, retention is a lot about content, so you need to have constantly really good quality content for the players to interact with. Uh, typically, it is you know level content, uh, campaigns, events, whatever, but uh, it needs to be relevant for the player. Um, so we actually did invest a lot in in our content. We have some really talented level designers uh, working on both both games, just making really good quality content. Um, on the feature side, uh, it's actually quite interesting. Uh, we uh, when we came out with Mr. Autofire, it was very lightweight, uh, <laughs> and we kind of uh, tacked on a lot of uh, free-to-play features later on. Um, most of the time, we actually uh, improved the the kpis of the game uh, specifically actually in monetization um so 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 kind of the gotchas and uh, uh character banners and battle passes and all of that i think they are primarily monetization features and and uh, retention features only a second um we actually just recently released uh social features so we have like a guild feature but I have no idea what it does to retention yet. I think we'll need to wait and see for, for mm. a longer period of time before that type of uh, feature really kind of proves its worth. Um, so I guess, I guess, long story short, I am a big believer in this, uh, I guess it's a con- content-trickle approach for retention mm. um, and uh, and these uh, power progression features are, are more actually monetization features than, than anything else. Got it. Um, since since you run to go back to the UA part since you run so much UA 
uh, rewarded video ads, and I'm sure other formats as well, but that's what I personally see a lot. Um, how has the company been affected by the ATT changes? Do you feel like you've been successful in navigating that? I mean, I, I feel like um, having that understandable gameplay probably gives it, you have strong ad creative in a way that other games might not. So what what has that uh, this experience been like for you? Because it's changed a lot of different companies in a lot of different ways. I mean, we have for sure been affected by the changes. Uh, we are spending less on user acquisition now than we were last year. Um, I don't think that's a, that's a secret. Uh, generally speaking, with the privacy changes, uh, there's targeting and measurement, right? Um, and while measurement gets to gets a lot of attention, uh, it is in fact the targeting part that is kind of problematic. And as ad efficiency goes down, I think everyone loses. There may be relative winners in this, but they're kind of only just that uh, relative winners. So um, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think we're by far the worst off uh, out of all mobile publishers, but uh, it's definitely made our life a little bit harder as well. Okay. I think it's notable though, like that the business hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, there's still uh, people still download games, people still play games people still pay in the games it is just the distribution that has changed and everyone is learning uh how to work with this 2023 version of of uh direct response marketing and as as you've grown from one game team to two has the second game team been able to meet that same metric of can we build it in three months like do you have something secretly out there in soft launch or have you built and, ki- you know, have you soft launched and killed a game already based on the response? What's, um, have you been able to stay true to that initial, um, five question, um, um, rubric a- as you've, uh, grown the second game team? Um, yeah, so we decided to actually start a new game, uh, roughly a year ago, um, from the beginning we wanted to be a company that creates games and not only operates the first game that happens to be mm-hmm. successful so so it was al- always in the plans but uh, the first two years we we're only a, we're also a strong believer in focus so we were really focused on Mr. Road of Fire so we did have a marketing test out uh, of the new game in February uh, we didn't make it in three months, though. Uh, we did it in four, so we missed the mark by a month. Thirty-three <laughs> percent uh, off. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Four months is still pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's 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 okay. Um, I I I mean, like at the same, like I said, at the same time, we were growing the company, and it was like a shuffling a lot of people. Some people were doing two games at once and mm-hmm. that's not like the optimal thing there's some, there's some things that i would do differently now with the with the experience that i have now but we ended up uh still releasing a version of the game we ended up measuring uh day one retention and uh and, and marketing funnel um and yeah i mean it looked promising enough that we decided to also build the rest of the game okay. so we are now kind of at the late stages of production of of the second game I guess Wonderful. the difference was that uh, for Mr. Autofire, we just built on top of the marketing test launch. So uh, we made a kind of a prototype with lipstick and then we built on top of that. 
Um, and for the second game, we thought that maybe we can afford now to take a breather and do more like a uh, proper a, production. Yeah. yeah, build a strong foundation so you're not just um, struggling with tech debt all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, we're very close to to um, uh, we call it public beta. So 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 I guess uh, equivalent of soft launch. Awesome! Well, I can't wait to um, to hear about that public beta and and play it once it's um, <clears throat> more well, once it's ready to kind of unveil. Um, there's been a, a lot of great wisdom today, very relevant to me, especially literally what I'm doing right now. So thank you for all the free coaching and mentoring right now. Um, what are you I'll, doing, by the way, right now? What is it I'm, exactly I'm building a doing? new game studio. Yeah. Um, building a, a Web3 game studio. I'm, I know my business model. I'm building some prototypes. I'm looking for, you know, a technical director or lead game engineer to come help. I, I've got some VC funding and nice. I, it's got some really unique things about it, but not that I should share with the entire audience. But, um, you know, if that, if, if that sounds like fun to you, um, you know, reach out on LinkedIn, but I'm, I'm building something that, um, is very focused on uh, just building a lot of fun games. And so I, I'm not, um, miss, this was really well timed because Mr. Autofire is kind of on the dartboard of, um, inspiration games for kind of the first batch nice. of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought we would leave with this. Um, here I am kind of at the early stages where you guys are at this, uh, great inflection point of, doubling the team, having this three-year anniversary, having this solid revenue success. What's kind of a top lesson you could give to me as a, a, a new uh, game studio founder on something you wish you had known uh, when you started the company or something you knew but wish you had paid attention to more? Yeah, that's a good one. Maybe one that uh, I, I, I mostly believe in is assume that you are not good at recruiting and then make it your priority to, to learn to be good at recruiting um i mean it, it's something that everyone says and then uh it's still somehow more important than you think uh the impact of a hire in a startup is so big uh, it's so much bigger than in a, in a in a corporate environment um and you don't have like the structure to do the hiring you don't have company reputation to get some inbound uh, applications and uh, you will be constantly aching to get people into key positions. Um, I think we've managed to do okay, but it's still, still something we could have done better. Um, and I think investing founders time and focus in recruitment is, 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 uh, is what you should do. Um, so I, th I think I would uh, I would leave with that. Wonderful. Well, those are great, great words to uh, uh, end on or great wisdom to end on. Actually, this this uh, while we're talking about it, are there any key positions you're looking for right now? What are some of the folks you're looking to join the Lightheart squad, join either that live game or that new game that's that's getting to public beta soon? Um, we are always looking for full stack game developers um really really 
high level programmers who 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 can who can make games from scratch and can operate in a in a live game environment. Uh, we're also looking for the same type of people in 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 other disciplines. So so uh, really capable artists and uh, really capable uh, free to play product and design people. So there is nothing any more specific than that. But uh, if you feel you know work with us uh, and and like the type of culture that we are running, uh, feel free to reach out on on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, Mika, thank you so much for uh, uh, for coming on and, and sharing your story. Thanks, Ethan. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.